live from the Parrot Nation studios, it's Parrot Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a news flash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It is voting day in the USA. <laughs> Kelly, did you vote? Not yet. Oh my but gosh. I will. I will. You have to. I am. I am. I'm still getting up and getting awake and all that good stuff. Oh, that's right. You're one of those, you're one of those like Pacific time zone people, aren't you? Right. But since Sunday, I did gain an extra hour. So it's actually nine o'clock here. Oh, really? Yeah. We, okay. See, that's kind of weird because, um, we do like spring ahead, fall back. Right, but we but don't. It's, but it's still 11 o'clock here. Right, but we don't do anything in Arizona. I think Arizona, Hawaii, and maybe one other state does not do daylights. So when daylight savings is on, we're on Pacific time. When it's off, now we're on mountain time. That's confusing as hell. It is. It's crazy. <laughs> you know what? We need to... Arizona is weird. I agree. Listen, we, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I think that we should just quit it with the time zone change crap. I know. I think we should just that's, stop it. Well, that's what we've done. So why are we weird? Well, because you're Arizona. <laughs> I mean, you're just weird. Like you, Arizona and Washington state and Maine are, are all kind of weird. Oh, it's weird. Colorado's. Okay. Yeah. Colorado's <laughs> kind of weird too. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Cause uh-huh. I just want, I just think you all are, but okay. I love you and uh-huh. you're weird in an awesome way. Like, like I want to be weird like you kind of oh, way, right? That. Kind of like I want to be a Canadian, mm-hmm. but not that I want to live in Canada. I just think they have an awesome outlook on stuff. Right. You know, they're like, Psh, whatever, legalize marijuana, sleep in, just go with the flow of the time thing and everybody will be happy. That's what I want for my life. Oh. Well, you, you can have that in Shoemakersville, can't you? No. No. Absolutely you'd not. The, you'd be the only one. I would be. I'm the only one who does a lot of things in Shoemakersville. <laughs> <laughs> We have a lot of we have a lot of people who have farms in this area and the the time change actually helps them because it's not dark for several hours when they get up in the morning to do their jobs and that's kind of important whatever. Right. I think that's why it was originally uh, invented. Yeah, everything's about farmers. Yeah. Yep. I think that uh, kids should go to school year round. Not the most popular vote here. But I do. I think that we should go to school year round and we should get longer breaks intermittently. Mm -hmm. 
I think that would be fantastic. I think the kids would get more accomplished. I think that you wouldn't have the the in the um, the loss of information, you know, like right. that that brain atrophy thing that they go through in the summertime. Summer right, and then you go through an entire month of relearning everything when you go back to school. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you wouldn't have that. Right. I think that it would be better for parents who choose to work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because then it would help them to schedule vacations and things better. Right. Um, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of reasons. Well, so, we, anyway. The whole state of Arizona doesn't do this, but a lot of the districts were on what's called a modified year-round schedule. And so every quarter, we have two and a half weeks off, and then we have usually six, sometimes seven weeks off for summer. Get out of Dodge. See? Yeah. I'm moving to freaking Arizona. (laughs) Ah, man. It's it's great. We like it. I like it. I don't even live there and I like it. (laughs) I like your, I like your heat. I gotta say, I like the heat. Well, good. Then you would fit in just wonderfully. It was like 54 this morning when I drove to school, but it's going to be 78 today. Really? Yes. Hey, Chris Klein, if you're listening, I have an idea. (laughs) That's my husband, Parent Nation, trying to get him to move me south. But we have these things called kids, and we have to keep them in school until they graduate, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Thinking, speaking of doing things until kids graduate, did you see the, the craziness that ensued when I posted the picture of the mom on my Facebook page who's still breastfeeding her daughter yes. at, uh, at what? Five? The kid's, kid's got to be, no, she's well over five. Oh, okay. That was the issue. The, see, that's the thing. I love when people comment and they don't read the article. When right. the picture was taken, the child was over five years old. The child mm-hmm. is actually over six years old right now. So, you know, it's, you gotta, you gotta realize that there's a time when you gotta cut these things off. Right. Right. I I did see that picture. It looked like she was taking a glamour shot. It did. And she (laughs) wants to be, oh, our producer is saying that the child is now eight. Oh, okay. Okay. Seriously? (sighs) Listen, this woman wants to be the United States poster child for extended breastfeeding. I get it, but there comes a time when you have to put yourself aside and realize that this is about your child. Your child needs to develop normally. Your child needs to have boundaries. Your child needs to have independence and levels of maturity. You cannot, you cannot breastfeed an eight-year-old. You can't do, and I don't understand why people are even arguing for her. Do you, the people that were arguing in favor of this woman were saying things like, I breastfed my child until they were three years old, or I breastfed my child until they were four years old. Okay, A, they are not eight. Mm-hmm. And B, you're defending, they're defending cultures that we don't have here. They're saying in other countries, this is acceptable. Okay, and those are also the other countries where female uh, subservience is acceptable. Right. 
where, um, you know, everything that we fight against as a modern, advanced culture is acceptable in those places, but you're going to take the one thing that you support and say they got it all together and we should be doing it that way. Come on. Seriously. And and the thing that I the thing that really gets my goat, Kelly, is that people are saying it's her child. She should be allowed to do what she wants with her child. Since when do we do that? Right. That woman put herself out there to the media and said, look at me, be like me. I want you to see me and I want what I'm doing to be normalized. She wasn't doing that behind closed doors and saying this is a private moment between me and my baby. She was broadcasting that on the media and saying this is what I think more people should be doing. No, they shouldn't because it's not normal. It's wrong. At that age, it is wrong. Yes. Psychologically damaging to that child. And here's how I know. People are like, one woman kept coming back and coming back and coming back and saying is it in the DSM? which is the directory of medical, um, mental illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, my son has a, a, a diagnosis that is no longer in the DSM. So forgive me for not using that as the Bible of all things, mental health. Second of all, I deal with the children when they're in school and you've gotten them as a parent to that point that they need my intervention. So please do not tell me that this is in the best interest of your child when you nurse that child through first grade and then I have to come in and help them with their social disorders. Right. And they can't, they can't be getting enough, enough to fill them up with that. Well, see, that's just the thing, Kelly. It's there. The people who are defending this are on so many different sides of the fence. It's, it doesn't even make sense to me on one side. They're saying it's the most nutritionally healthy, best thing that she can give to her child. Okay. You don't know if that woman ate three big Macs before she nursed that kid and drank a half a bottle of wine. You kind of looked like it though. It kind of did look like it, didn't it? You don't know if she's taking that little girl to McDonald's to buy her a happy meal and then nursing her when she gets her gets in the car. You don't know what that woman's diet looks like outside of breast milk. And believe me, there is a diet outside of breast milk for that child. There has to be. There has to be. And if there's not, then you're hurting her even more. Because then the only diet that she is, it's impossible. I'm sorry, it's impossible. The, right. the child would be withering away to nothing because every study on the planet has proven that after four years or five years maximum of breastfeeding, your milk no longer has a nutritional value to sustain a, a human being. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so it's impossible that that's all she's getting. And then there are people that are saying, well, it's for comfort. She needs it for comfort. So, okay, wait a minute. If that mom were baking cakes and pies and feeding her child every time her child got frustrated or upset, you would be calling her abusive because she's teaching her child comfort eating. Mm -hmm. But if she's breastfeeding that same age child to comfort her, that's okay. You're still teaching her that food is comfort. You're still giving her an unhealthy mentality and belief system around food and nutrition. And you're giving her an unrealistic expectation about how her issues can be, can be solved and how she can self-regulate and how she can comfort herself. 
It's unrealistic expectations. She has a problem with shapes or colors in kindergarten, and now she wants a boob? Come on! (laughs) I love when people say, there's no, nobody knows what to do. There's There's no manual for child rearing. I could buy a book on how to raise a puppy and change some terminology, and it would be basically the same thing. You have to teach it to be grown up. You have to teach your child how to live in the world. These are things that we are required to do. You have to teach your child how to survive in the world. You have to teach your child how to eat, how to keep themselves clean, how to take care of their space, how to, you know, in our culture, you have to teach them how to learn different things like math and science so that they can move on. You have to teach them how to read. There are things that we have to teach our children to do and turning to something that is completely 100% reliant on you as a parent to give them, which is supposed to be a life skill that they develop on their own as independents, is not healthy. So that, I, I, that conversation can go on forever. Somebody's like, stop posting this on your wall. I posted it once. <laughs> it got 250 comments and people are still talking about it. That's not my fault. Ay, ay, ay. Get a boob. Speaking uh, of boobs. Oh. <laughs> did you see? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know how much time we have in this segment. Did you see the, the video? Okay, so these National Guardsmen were, um, were released, early retirement, because they took the, a whole bunch of girls, calendar girls, pinup girls, put them in bikinis and gave them assault rifles, military-grade assault rifles, and um, put them on tanks, allowed them to, you know, like operate tanks from the military, and then um, made a video of it Ooh. and put it out there. There are so many things wrong with that. I don't even know what to tell you. But people are actually saying, oh, you shouldn't do anything to them. They served our country. Um, people listen. They cost your country a lot of money because the, the tanks, the fuel that they used and the ammunition that they used and all of that, um, that you're paying for that, ladies and gentlemen. So they got to use up all of these military resources so that they could blast out videos of girls in bikinis playing with big boy toys. Really? This is what we want our military to represent? And you're going to support that? I don't get it. Mm. And then there's women that say, there's women out there that are saying, blasting all over the place, um, no woman ever dresses to be paid attention to by a man. Oh, really? Really? Really, um, those girls did. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I, you know, I, I have a thing going on. So it's Dad Day. Yes, Dad Day. And in honor of Dad Day, did you see the video that we put up on uh, Parent Nation of the seahorse giving birth? Yes. Oh my gosh, that was unbelievable. Do you know that the male seahorse is the one that gives birth? Oh, I saw that. Which is probably why it basically sneezes out a bazillion babies and then leaves. No, I'm only kidding. Oh. 
<laughs> no, listen, but you have to see it. It sneezes. It sneezes the babies out of its special place, and there's like a bazillion of them. Why do they need to have that many babies? I don't know. They're like it's, octomoms <laughs> or duggers. More than that, yeah. <laughs> Million octomoms. <laughs> Seahorses are the duggers of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's awesome that the dad seahorses have the babies and I think it's brilliant the way they do it just like blowing them out like that it's amazing it's awesome do they just feel the urge or do they just I don't know aren't seahorses like aren't aren't seahorses asexual like they can be the male and the female like they have they have to be if they have the baby right Oh yeah, I would Babies. think so. It's pretty awesome. So I'm I'm really excited about Dad Day. We have some that we've been having a lot of dads on for Dad Day who were part of the Dads Behaving Dadly project, yes. which I absolutely love. And if you haven't read the book, Kelly, I highly recommend it. The stories in there are amazing. But two of the dads that we have on today are from that book. And um, the first one is Lorne Jaffe. And I love, he has two, actually two um, pieces in Dad's Behaving Dadly. And the first one is about him dealing with depression as a mm-hmm. stay-at-home dad. And the thing is, when I read it, I completely empathized with everything that he was saying, having gone through that myself. And it was amazing to me that dads go through those same types of things and feel those same types of things for the same reasons. And what occurred to me in that moment was we aren't so different. Hmm. I think dads just are raised to hide it better. And that's kind of a bummer. He also... Tells a great story about his little girl discovering the moon, which is awesome too. So, um, I'm I'm really excited to talk to him. But it's it's amazing to me how we how the the way society is treating men and women today is separating us so much more than it is bringing us together. And I don't think we even realize it. So I'm really excited to have Lauren on to talk about that. And then we also have Donald Unger who's going to be talking to us about his book, Men Can. So we are going to be talking with Lauren when we come back from this break. Stay tuned, everybody. It takes a village to pay the bills in this freaking studio, which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break and we're taking care of business with a word from these sponsors. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. 
This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have my first guest, Lauren Jaffe, with us. And uh, Lauren is part of the uh, Dad's Behaving Dadly uh, book project, which I absolutely love. We've had so many dads from this project on the show. And he's also a blogger, and he's very um, he writes very transparently about the issues and, and some of the stuff that dads deal with that we don't really think about or or often give them credit for so i'm so glad to have him here hey lauren how are you i'm okay uh very nervous <laughs> <laughs> nervous oh it's all right chill it's cool it's all good we're all parents mm-hmm. here <laughs> we know what we're going through uh so i read your <clears throat> i read your chapter in dad's behaving dadly and you know from one anxiety-laden parent to another, I feel you. I totally felt you in that. And it was kind of amazing to me because I know that men go through depression and I know that men have anxiety attacks because my dad was one of them. And yet, it's not something that we really think about. You know, that's pretty much become the mom's world. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, men are raised to hide their emotions and, you know, stuff everything inside. And, you know, that's that's pretty much how I was raised. There was no, like, male affection in my family, no hugging, no anything like that. So I just bottled everything up. It's true, and it, it's amazing, too, because I have, you know, my husband's family is very loving, but they're not very demonstrative about it. You know, like I, I was from a very, I'm from one side of my family is a very large German family. And the other side of my family is a very large Irish Catholic family. So there was a lot of hugging and kissing and, you know, all kinds of craziness going on. And with my husband's family, it's like when I went to hug them, they were, they kind of went like, whoa, (laughs) 
<laughs> what are you doing? Back it up, sister. Won't be any of this loving going on. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was very awkward to me, but it was one of those things where I had to, I almost had to force that affection on my boys because I knew that that's not something that they would be getting from their dad. So when you tell your stories about your daughter, I mean, one of the things that you say in your, in your chapter is that you never imagined even having a girlfriend, not to mention a wife or daughter and how that's added so much to your life. So when you go, what, how did you wind up being the, the stay at home dad? Um, actually I, I had a nervous breakdown. I've had two nervous breakdowns. I had a nervous breakdown in 2010, I believe, and I was taken out of work and, um, I've been on disability ever since. Um, and really my, my main trigger is work because my my family is all about work. You know, it's like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be this, be that. And I never had any aspirations to that, and I just felt all the, the pressure about it. So when my wife got got uh, pregnant and we, we decided to have the child and I was on disability anyway, it only made sense. So there was that, um, that reason. The other reason is, Child care is just so expensive, um, and we wanted one of us to stay home. And my wife was obviously making more than me, <laughs> so um, it, it made only sense. Like, even if I went out and got a job, it would have been not nearly enough. It, it would have covered child care. And the other is I, I want to stay home. I want to be, I want to be with my daughter. You know, I want to, I want to see her grow up. My father didn't see it with me and and my sister and I, I want to see it's I love that because that's one of the things that you say is that um, you feel so bad for the dads that don't get to experience the things that that mothers that stay home or that people that raise their children, you know, that stay home with their children get to see, you know, those first words, those first steps, you know, the first time that they reach for their toes. Those are things that um, maybe if more dads were able to experience those firsts, that they would feel more connected to their kids. I agree completely. Yeah. It's it's so cool that you are um, that you're able to take something that happened to you and turn it into an amazing family experience for your daughter and for your wife. I mean, this must be this must be a tremendous gift to her to know that she can do the work that she loves and be able to 100 percent trust the person that's taking care of your your daughter, you know. Yeah, she's she's said that a lot. Like any time that I get really nervous and, and and anxious and whatever, and I'm talking about money and I'm talking about, um, you know, uh, like getting going back to work or, or whatever, my wife is like, I it, it may it, it means a ton knowing that she's safe with you, right? You know, just knowing that she's safe. Exactly. And when you read the stories about the things that go on in, in some child cares today, um, 
you know, it, it, it really is a blessing to be able to have one parent at home. Society tells us that, you know, or history tells us that it's traditionally been the mom. But I love that, that dads like you are, are flipping that stereotype on its head and saying, you know what, you know, I'm just as capable and I have experiences to share and knowledge to share. And, you know, this is, this is the best place for me to be for our family. And I love that. So you have a blog that you write too. So tell us about that. Like, what is your blog about? Um, my blog is, well, it's called uh, RaisingSienna.com. And uh, it's really about raising my daughter while I battle depression and anxiety. I mean, I've had depression since I was nine, and I've had anxiety probably since the breakdown. Um, and it really is a battle. It's in every moment, every second, every whatever battle. So I write mostly about that. Wow. And so I know that there are a lot of... I, I First of all, I find it amazing that you were... You were diagnosed. Were you diagnosed when you were nine, or did you were you just aware of it when you were nine? I was unofficially diagnosed at nine. I was sent to see a child psychiatrist, and she she basically commented and and I, I found the old whatever it's called. I, I found the old sheet, and it basically says list the symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I you know, put two and two together, and, you know, I've, I've had it since I was nine. Wow. At least. That's amazing because, well, I mean, you're you're obviously up on all things Internet. <laughs> so everywhere you go on the Internet today, it's saying, you know, it, it's kids today. Kids today are the ones that are experiencing stress. Kids today are the ones that are experiencing depression. Kids today are the ones experiencing anxiety disorders. And... The truth is, it's not kids today. It's kids forever. Yeah. But we're just now paying attention to it. Yeah, it's it's very hidden. Um, it, I mean, the whole Robin Williams thing, you know, mm-hmm. just, I think that was, if there's a positive out of that, it's that it really brought it to the forefront and said, this is something that affects everybody or anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are it doesn't matter your race your religion whatever it it's out there it's hidden and it really needs to be talked about more and it's not and it's especially not with men so I, I, i'm hoping with my blog even though i'm terrified and nervous and and when i'm hoping that i can at least through my experiences get more people to to talk about it I think it's brilliant that you're doing that because there are so many men that suffer silently with depression. And as more and more dads are taking that role of stay-at-home parent and caregiver, it's even more important that we recognize it. I mean, with women, it's so easy to say, oh, it's postpartum depression or it's extended postpartum depression or it's, um, you know, mommy overwhelm. We, we give it these very female-centric labels for something that really is 
you know, unisex. It really, it does, it, it affects both genders equally. It's just that one has been more conditioned to hide it than the other. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. So if there were, um, are there certain symptoms that a lot of women will look at their, their spouses and say, um, he's, he's void of all emotion or he's just not sensitive or he's just not caring or he's narcissistic or, you know, we can look at our spouses and self-diagnose them to our own benefit. Or we could look at them and say, oh my gosh, could this be depression? Could you seriously be depressed? You know, like low testosterone gets blamed for everything. Right. But could this, could it actually be a situation of anxiety and depression? So what are some things that we as spouses can look for to help serve our, our men who might be dealing with this in secret? Um, I think probably the major one would be withdrawing. Um, just, and with me, it was withdrawing into myself. And to, to be honest, I almost lost my wife. Uh, I, was she my girlfriend at the time? I don't even remember. <laughs> um, but my best friend had to yell at me, you know, and say, look, you know, if you don't do something, then you're going to lose her. Because my wife was had it up to here. I just completely withdrew into myself. I think that's one of the major, 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 major uh, symptom or or things to look for if somebody is withdrawing who wouldn't normally withdraw um, or well who would who would withdraw or I'm not saying that's right if I know exactly what suddenly, you're saying yeah if I, some somebody is suddenly withdrawing exactly that is and, a clear sign I and do you know what's so funny about that Lorne is how many experts out there are telling us that that's a first sign of infidelity. How do you know your man is cheating? Well, they withdraw. They uh, don't pay as much attention to you. They uh, find ways to not be around you. They, um, you know, they go into themselves and into their cell phone and they hide themselves in the bathroom and check their voicemails and check their messages. These, these things that are that are clear signs in most people's minds of cheating and infidelity are actually also exactly the same as symptoms of depression. <laughs> so can you imagine your spouse, your the the person that you love more than anyone is going through a depression and now you think they're cheating on you? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't I'm that glad just I didn't gonna have make to deal it with that? Right? Yeah. It's amazing to me how we how we look for reasons to ignore something as taboo as depression and anxiety and stress. Yeah, it seems to be like the last thing that that people will admit to or look for. Mhm. Because it's embarrassing and it's emasculating. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's it's humiliating. I mean, it's it's horrible that you're in the clutches of this disease. And, and that's the other thing. People don't look at it as, as a disease. And it is a disease. You know, it's, it could be chemicals in the brain. It could be, it could be any, anything. And, and 
when you have depression, it is, it's a narcissistic disease. You cannot see how you're affecting anybody else. All you see is what's happening in your head and how warped every, well, you don't see how warped everything is, but everything is warped to the absolute negative and, you know, power. Yeah. Everything is hopeless. Everything is this. So I, I didn't see how it was affecting my wife. I mean, I remember a long time ago when my sister, you know, sat me down and yelled at me and said, you have no idea how you're affecting mom and dad. You know, and that, I, I was maybe in college or, or before college, high school or whatever. Everyone walks around egg, on, on eggshells around you, you. You don't see it. And that's the first time I really saw it as a selfish uh, narcissistic disease, but you don't, it's not your fault, you know, that mm -hmm. it's narcissistic and it's selfish. It just happens to be that way. Exactly. We don't, we don't look at our toddlers as being narcissistic, No. you know, because they see things from their own viewpoint. And I thank you so much for bringing to light that this is a disease and that, um, if this is a person, if you're if you're seeing symptoms like this in a person that has not been like this before, um, stop diagnosing it as something that's pathological like narcissism, and realize that you're you're the person that you love could be going through something really deep and really dangerous, and they're afraid to tell you. And that's what I love about your story in Dad's Behaving Dadly is it takes something as simple as thinking about not having a job putting you into a full-blown panic attack and doing everything in your power not to upset your family and wake them up through it. So I thank you. We're, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I want everybody to check out the book and check out Lauren, Lauren's blog named Lauren Jaffrey, and it's Raising Sienna. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Donald Unger. Stay tuned. Parrot Nation, Tara Kennedy-Klein needs a pee break. And then we'll be right back with more Parenting with a Twist. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Then join us for Sex Talk with Lou with your host, Lou Paget on TogiNet Wednesday nights, 9, 8 central. Do you want to recreate a truly connected relationship or wonder, how do I tell my kids about things? 
Join Lou Paget, one of the world's best-selling authors in the field of sexuality, a certified sex educator and sought-after expert for all media and her renowned expert guests as they discuss anything and everything about sex that impacts our lives and our families' lives. For more on Lou, check out her website, loupaget.com. This is the show where the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health can finally give you the answer to that question. Join us for Sex Talk with Lou with your host, Lou Paget, Wednesday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are celebrating Dad Day, which is like our most favorite day of the month. Right, Kelly? Dad Day. Dad Day. You know, Parent Nation, the reason we do this is not um, because I'm like anti-feminist. Okay, well, I am. But listen, (laughs) the reason that we do this is because we need to start embracing dads more in parenting. We really do. I mean, they... There's no, we can't do it by ourselves. We can't get pregnant by ourselves. Why would we ignore half of an equal team because we're afraid of what they might do after they've impregnated us to our child? I mean, that's just obscene. So we celebrate dads because we love them and we want to bring more of dads into parenting. So my next guest is Donald Unger, and he writes and lectures on men, masculinity, fatherhood. Um, He has a book called Men Can. And it's changing the image and reality of fatherhood in America, which we are all about. So, hey, Donald, are you there? I am. Very happy to be here. (laughs) Glad to have you. I have a very good friend from high school named Rob Unger. So if I call you Rob, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll I'll still answer. (laughs) So... I love I love the title of your book. I love the topic of your lectures. I love what you're doing. Um, what made you do it? Um, I don't know if you know the uh, the writer Anne Lamott, who's also written about parenthood, but is also a, a fiction writer. And she wrote something like, um, "We write from our wounds." Mm-hmm. Um, and she was talking about uh, creative things. Um, I would say that in scholarship, I think often we write from our irritations. And so my daughter was born in 95. I was home with her for a couple of years and then went back to school into a doctoral program and ended up writing a dissertation on gender-neutral language, the subtitle of which was Can Father's Mother? Um, Basically because as a stay-at-home parent, uh, you know, I was upset in an ongoing way by how I was treated and how my child was treated. Um, So I went into this for really selfish reasons, basically. I love that. <laughs> and I totally get what you're saying because when my kids were little, I was in mom's club, okay, and there was one dad, and he was literally our token dad. And he was there because his wife was a pediatrician, and he was the stay at home dad. And it was ridiculous the way we treated him. We were like high school girls with him. I think it's gotten a lot better. Uh, I hope I think, so. You know, I mean, it, it, if you look at you know, your previous guest, for example, uh, so he's a member of the uh, City Dads group. Uh, they're in, I believe, 14 or 15 cities now. 
And this started only a few years back by a couple of guys in New York City, um, you know, who I've met and had some very positive interaction with. So that, that kind of sort of dad infrastructure um, to give men a place to go and to sort of support each other, that's, you know, that's been in place. It's, it's growing. You know, there's not enough of it. But I think we're actually moving in a positive direction. Yeah, we had uh, we had a guest on a couple months ago who has a dad um, a dad's club organization in Canada, mm-hmm. and, and I thought, I thought we need we really need more of that. Absolutely, it's so vital and important. So, when you did you stop staying home with your daughter or? Well, so my, my uh, wife and I both teach. Uh, my wife is a, a tenured professor, so she was home for six months. I was home for a couple of years. And then, you know, when our daughter was two and a half, three years old, um, you know, my wife was at work and I was going to school, so we split childcare that way and began some uh, part-time daycare as well. I love your uh, I love your story, and you also have a story in Dad Behaving Dadly, and it's um, it, it's basically about your daughter going away. Is, is she going to college? Yeah, that's it right. Basically, she's, uh, yeah, she's nineteen. She's at Sarah Lawrence now, and and what I wrote had to do with how painful it is when your child leaves, but the sort of sort of bittersweet irony that, you know, that that's what success looks like, right? I mean, you know, if you're married and somebody leaves, that's because something happened that shouldn't have happened, or if you lose a job, that's, you know, those kinds of partings. But success for a parent is your kid leaves you. And then you sort of sit there and go, well, that was really wonderful that I was able to make that happen, and now what do I do? Now I'm totally bored. Now I just have to spend the rest of my time with this person that I haven't talked to for the last 18 years. Personally, I like her. I'm I'm lucky. I like my wife. Um, You know, but we, we only had the one kid, so, you know, a lot of people have spares. (laughs) <laughs> they get to kind of, you know, get used to getting rid of kids. You know, they get rid of one, there's still another one around, or a couple of them, and they practice, you know. But for us, it was just, you know, there's a kid in the house, there's not a kid in the house. And uh, wow. it, was, it was quite something. It's been a year, and I'm, I'm still not, uh, not really over it. I'll tell you what, we, my son, my oldest, is only in 10th grade, and yet we, um, my husband took him to a college fair. I couldn't even mm-hmm. go. My <laughs> husband is so devastated over the fact that his buddy is going to be leaving in two years. He's, like, trying to cram every childhood event into the next two years that he didn't. It's like his childhood bucket list that he didn't yeah. get to check off. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you the weirder thing. Um, I, I missed her when she was still here. Um, you know, I, I, like, I miss my five-year-old daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And when she was in the house but 10, I missed the five-year-old. Yeah. When she was 15, well, when she was 15, she could have left then. That would have been fine. Um, You know, teenagers are, uh, well, then I really missed the previous versions of her. You Uh, know, that's a very, that's very maternal of you, Donald. Oh, that's such a bad use of a word. (laughs) Scolded. Oh, my God. No more cocktails. I don't do that PC crap on my show. Uh, It's not PC. (laughs) The truth is. We sit on the floor when our babies are like are almost one year old, mm-hmm. and we get the letter in the mail from Similac that says your baby's not an infant anymore. Yeah. And then we cry, yeah. and and we cry when we have to put away their six month old clothing because they'll never wear it again. So yep. yeah, we you know it's that's very um, yeah. Nurturing. A lot of people would call that very maternal of you. 
I'll, I'll give you an example of, of actually language changing. So when I wrote Ken Father's Mother, uh, one of the things that I wrote was that you know we don't have what, what you call linguistic equivalence. So to mother is to care for and to father is to inseminate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been going to a conference every year now for almost 10 years, the New England Fathering Conference, which is not actually an insemination conference. <laughs> And they, they, you know, made that name choice um, 15, 16 years ago because they were working on turning fathering into a straight equivalent to mothering. And, you know, I think some people, you know, they pulled them out in a little bit. And here's the thing, though. I guess if you have the father who always fathered, then there is no difference except for the very real difference of gender. Does that make sense? Well, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm sort of less interested in categorizing. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, um, I, I don't have a template for what these things are supposed to look like. If things are going in your household in a way that works and that the people in your household are happy with, it's not my not business always. or anybody else's business to, you know, to come in and say, you know, this person's doing too little or this person's doing too much or, you know, it, it's, if you're making it work, you're making it work. Don't you think we always, do, don't you think we do that all the time, though, Donald, really? Do what? Leave to each other. Don't you, don't you think we kind of like, you know, here's the thing. I can, I can scold my kid all I want, but right. if my husband comes in and scolds them for the exact same thing, I'm like, oh, you don't have to talk to him like that. You know? Oh, can't you see that? You're, yeah, I Are think you talking that, about kind of territoriality and, and sort of parents interfering with each other like that? I think, yes, I think it's, it's more the we don't see what we're doing. We only see what other people are doing. Yeah. And that's what we get to judge in mm. our own minds. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind but of that's, weird. That's, that, that's a little bit, I mean, that's sort of uh, individual behaviors rather than sort of who's supposed to do what or what's the family supposed to look like or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like in our family, my husband has to do math. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just the yeah. Way it is. I had to do math for a long, long time just to get out of high school. <laughs> I didn't have that problem, but <laughs> so what? So tell us what you're doing. Like, what does the future look like for you? in in the parenting roles in the parenting world. For I mean, how do I see parenting evolving, or what's going on yes. with me as a parent? Parenting evolving. Um, I think that things are are going in what I see as a generally positive direction. I think that, you know, there's more sort of um, equality in in parent world, you know, more, basically more options, you know, because again, I don't, I'm not saying, you know, that I have the map. I'm saying that, you know, parent world should be open in the same kind of way that the professional sphere should be open. You know, whether you get to keep a job or have a job should be based on, you know, whether you can do it well enough. And same thing with parenting. Uh, and again, I think, you know, we, we've built and are continuing to build a lot of the infrastructure that men need to, you know, sort of take care of themselves and each other as fathers. Uh, that certainly was not, was not there, you know, when, when my daughter was born, uh, not, you know, in meaningful fashion for me. And that was a, uh, that made it a lot harder. So I hear you saying that you feel like it's going in the right direction and things are starting to equalize. If not equalize, maybe become more fair. Well, because, become open. Just become open. That's all. Just you know, right. Because for me, fair wrong, and equal are not the same thing. Right. Like, right. Exactly. Exactly. 
So it's, it's becoming more open. And, but I have to ask you, uh, the elephant in the room, you speak to a lot of millennials and young adults in your, um, you know, in your speaking engagements and, and where you are. Are you noticing the recent feminist movement affecting male parenting? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, I think that it's gone from, I think we've gone from being a culture that desires openness and fairness to being almost a culture that wants men to kind of be subservient. And I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm around college students a great deal and have been for a couple decades now. I don't feel like I see a lot of that. Uh, and I, what I do see is that if you survey college age men and women, Men are more concerned about issues of work-life balance going forward than women at this point. You know, not by a lot, but, uh, you know, men are, young men are, are beginning to think about, you know, what is this going to look like? What is my life going to look like? And what do I want? And they want to, you know, be active parents. I love that. That's the it's best good thing. news good I've thing heard, for like, women. forever. Yeah. Good thing for women, good thing for kids. Heck, Yeah. Because I have to tell you, when I see the commercials, like the little girls dropping the F-bombs mm-hmm. um, in their princess dresses, it doesn't give me great hope. Well, I mean, you, so you feel like things are kind of coming apart. Yeah, I do. It, it's really not a comfortable position for me to be the, the person on the optimistic end of the argument. I'm not, I don't have a lot of practice with this. Um, You're welcome. I, I, I think, <laughs> yes, thank you. I, I think that we're actually getting movement from both ends of the political spectrum in ways that people are just going to begin to see. And what I mean by that is that if you go back 10 years, 15 years, um, there were a lot of households that were pretty conservative, family values, religious, um, often blue-collar, where they didn't get childcare, but they needed two jobs. And a lot of those men were equally sharing parents or were primary parents, basically in secret. A lot of cops, a lot of firefighters, a lot of nurses, a lot of utility workers, a lot of people did shift work. Mm -hmm. And so while what they may have been saying sort of politically was men are men and women are women and, you know, men don't do women's work and, and that kind of thing, what the generation of kids in college now saw a lot of them was that their fathers cooked and did laundry or, you know, did whatever was necessary to make the household work. And sometimes in conservative families, they were more consistent about that than in more liberal families where we buy daycare. We talk about equality and, and all that, and then we buy daycare. But a lot mm-hmm. of conservative families are like, I'm not having somebody else take care of my kid. Wow. So I think there's, there, there are seeds in the ground now. There, there are sprouts that are beginning to come up from, from that recent history. Well, that's good news. It is. It's good to hear. You know, and, and the truth is, when we really think about it, what we hear is the loudest voices. And uh, the loudest voices are used often the most extreme opinions, right? Right. We're doomed. Right. So I am so thrilled to hear that there is a happy medium and that there are seeds in the ground and they're actually taking root and uh, moving in the right direction. So that's pretty awesome. We only have like two minutes left to talk to you. I'm kind of bummed about that. I'm happy to come back. (laughs) But I, 
I do want everybody to take the opportunity to take a look at the Dads Behaving Dadly, but also mm -hmm. tell us about where we can get your book, Donald. Uh, you can go to the website um, men-can.com. Men hyphen? Yeah, that's right. Hyphen, okay. Men-can.com. That's awesome. And your book is Men Can, The Changing Image and image reality, reality of Fatherhood in America. That's and right. I love yeah. that. So when... Um, well, I'm just going to I'm going to leave it at that because I just think it's awesome. And do you have a blog also? Is that on the men.com? Uh, no. No. You don't have a blog? No, I know. I, you know, it's like uh, uh, you were saying in the intro about stuff in the closet. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the that's how it ends up when I try to blog. It's uh, just all the stuff that's stuffed in there haphazardly in random times and it's, it's not good maintenance. So Oh, well, we all try to blog every once in a while, but, you know, writing's so much easier. But I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate you taking the hot seat and um, oh, and being the, the optimistic one in the conversation <laughs> because that's really, you know, we have to switch roles every once in a while. That's what we yeah. do. So, anyway, thank you so much, Donald, for being part of our, our show today. And Lauren Jaffe, thank you. You were awesome. Everybody, check out Dad's Behaving Dadly. And until next week, join us on Facebook and keep playing. Seriously, Parent Nation, not every decision in parenting has to contain a hidden message or a life lesson. Sometimes it just has to pass mom's little barometer of, is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara online at tarakennedykline.com. Until next time, remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it the